Hi, and welcome to NACIO Voices, where we talk all things state IT. I'm Amy Glasscock in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'm Matt Pincus here in Washington, D.C. Today, we'll be talking with our friend and the Chief Privacy Officer of the State of Washington, Katie Ruckel, all about her work in the Evergreen State. We'll talk with Katie about her work, the status of privacy legislation in Washington, the intersection of security and privacy, and her privacy goals for 2022. Let's get started. Katie, welcome to NACIO Voices, and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, it was great to talk to you. So I know you just started in your role in January of 2020, I believe. So we actually didn't get the chance to meet in person until this fall when you attended our national conference. And then we got to spend some time together again in early December at our leadership summit. So I think we've made up for lost time. (laughs) But (laughs) anyway, tell us about your background and how you ended up in your current role as the state chief privacy officer in Washington. So my path to privacy is kind of a different one. I started out in contracts and procurement. And during that work, I ended up working on a lot of business associate agreements, which are required under HIPAA, which is the healthcare law that many of us are familiar with. Mm -hmm. And as a part of that work and becoming so familiar with HIPAA, I was uh, brought on board to be a privacy officer for my agency to help build up our HIPAA compliance program. And so through that work, I became very familiar with privacy, and that brought me into other areas of privacy beyond healthcare. And so after building the privacy program at the Washington State Department of Social and Health Services, which was around 17,000 employees at the time, and we had three hospitals there, I was asked to come over and help lead the state's privacy program as the state's chief privacy officer in 2020. Great. Yeah. And Katie, obviously a credit to to you and certainly Amy for, you know, making the the CPOs and, and the role of the CPOs so prominent on the NACIO platform. And so certainly uh, appreciate that. But, you know, we know that the state to CPO role can look a little bit different from state to state. So how would you describe what you do in Washington on a day-to-day or even a week-to-week basis? Sure. So in Washington, I was fortunate in that our governor decided to create uh, the CPO position originally through an executive order, but then it was created by legislation that same year. And so I'm actually Washington State's second chief privacy officer. Hmm. So I was able to come in and follow uh, my predecessor in help building a program out in Washington state. And initially the state CPO role focused a lot on consumer privacy issues. And I have taken the role to focus a little bit more on our state agencies and local governments. And so through our state law, which mandates an annual privacy review and articulating privacy principles and best practices, through that work, I have On a day-to-day basis, I guess I would say I'm helping to lay the foundation for our state agencies and thinking about um, Washington residents' privacy. Mm -hmm. So I have also started working on uh, developing more targeted training for state agencies and local governments. And uh, the law also requires uh, my involvement or my role or my office to be involved in a review of major IT projects in the state. And one of those projects is actually an an ERP 
project in the state called One Washington. And many states, I think, are um, looking at those types of initiatives. But I think for a lot of other states, my role is somewhat different. Although many state CPOs are uh, attorneys, which I am as well. It seems that when I've talked to several of the other state CPOs, they're coming out of a more general counsel role. Mm. So that's how my role is a little bit different in Washington because the law in Washington actually creates an office of privacy and data protection of which I'm the director. Got it. And, and then basically, you know, you have to sort of color but in between those lines of where the left and right limits of that law are, correct? Yes. Yeah, so the, the law sort of paints a broad outline of my responsibilities. And then I have taken the initiative to try and operationalize some of those ideas that the legislators put in law. Got it. And let's stay on talking about legislation and law in my next question. So we know that Washington has been working on a state privacy law for a couple years now. What's the status on that legislation as we approach the end of 2021? So the status <laughs> is that Washington has tried to pass the Washington Privacy Act three times. So at this point in time, we still do not have a Privacy Act in Washington. This is a consumer-driven privacy law. And the Washington State Senate has passed the law three times, but the House has yet to pass it. Actually, I have one caveat there. The House did pass it. We came close the session before last and the House passed a version of it, but unfortunately, the two chambers were unable to agree on the reconciliation of the two versions of the bill. And so we still do not have a law in Washington or consumer privacy law, I, I should say. Uh, the main area for disagreement, I think, were differences in the bills was in enforcement. So there is a strong um, contingent of people that believe that there should be a private right of action, which means individuals should be able to go to court and sue for uh, violations of the act, where the other side is thinking that it will be more able to be enforced through just having the attorney general's office enforce the law. Mm -hmm. So that's where there's a difference in Washington, and we haven't quite got a bill over the finish line. I do have every expectation that there will be privacy legislation introduced uh, in the Senate again, and I believe it's possible there may be an introduction of a bill in the House as well. It sounds a lot like you know what happens here in D.C., where things just sort of sit in legislative purgatory, and you know you hope eventually that it'll pass or something's going to happen with it. It's yeah. just not going to be in this limbo position. Yes, we've been excited by watching some of the legislative proposals in D.C. And there has been a lot of leadership, even by Washington representatives. Senator Cantwell and Representative Del Bene have both been active in this space. So we're excited to see if any national privacy legislation occurs as most privacy professionals in the U.S. and internationally have been hoping for. But in the meantime, we'll see if something can happen in our state. Don't hold your breath, right? <laughs> <laughs> Baby steps. Yeah. So, Katie, let's talk a minute about privacy and security. We know that you work closely with Washington's state chief information officer, and we even had you guys speak together at our leadership summit to talk about that. So tell us about how your two roles work together. 
So yes, I'm very fortunate to have a great working relationship with our state CISO, Vinod Brahmapuram. And I learned early on working in the private sector that working with security side of the house is critical. And we're lucky that both Vinod and I ensure our goals and priorities are in alignment. So we are in contact with each other multiple times a week and more recently have brought our teams together in weekly meetings so that we can stay in sync on cybersecurity and privacy initiatives in the state. And we also most recently collaborated on a jointly published report where uh, we had to specify privacy and cybersecurity and data protection best practices. So the report has some key findings, including recommendations related to cybersecurity, privacy, and data sharing agreements. This report was required by legislation that actually passed last session. And so we're happy to have the report published if anybody's interested on our website at watech.wa.gov slash privacy. That's great. I remember at the Leadership Summit, someone asking you guys, if there is an incident, how do people know if they should send it to you as the privacy person or to Vinod as the security person? And you guys said, it doesn't matter. Whoever gets it first is going to share it with the other one automatically. So uh, I just thought that said a lot about how closely you guys work together on those sorts of things. Yes, especially for incident response, we make sure that uh, we're in contact to determine, you know, where our roles need to be involved for particular incidents. Obviously, for purely cybersecurity incidents, his team is crack team. They handle everything really well and professionally, and they consult with me on privacy questions that come up in that area. And then I'm also able to participate in some of the remediation conversations and mitigation. So we do work closely in that space when necessary. And I think what also really helps when I'm talking about the two disciplines is I showed the NIST cybersecurity, NIST privacy framework Venn diagram, which Mm -hmm. sort of has the overlapping places for cybersecurity and privacy, and probably where they overlap the most is during incident response. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if anybody's listening right now, and they're kind of thinking, well, what is the difference between privacy and security? How, how do you describe the difference between the two to those who think maybe they're the same thing or who might be confused about the difference? Sure. The way I describe it is that privacy is the what and security is the how. So while security is concerned with protecting all types of data, privacy focuses a little bit more on personal information and considers more than just how it's being protected. For example, uh, security may not address the underlying purpose for collecting personal information or some of the ethical considerations around private information. Also, privacy violations can occur more than just in a cyber world and outside the organization's four walls. So it's important to keep in mind um, some uh, access controls that have to do possibly with some poor decision-making by individuals. I'm thinking in terms of it's not a technical term, but Sometimes we have incidents where people are looking up information they shouldn't be looking at, or even just making improper data sharing arrangements, 
where they're not really thinking about the authorities they have to share. Security isn't as involved in thinking about whether or not somebody has authority to access the information. When I say authority, I'm talking about legal authority. You know, they're just, if they're asked to provide the access, typically uh, they're going to be facilitating that. But thinking about the relationship between the two disciplines is critical since you can have security without privacy. You can't have privacy without security. Yeah, that's great. Thanks. So Katie, there are about 20 or so states that have someone currently working as the chief privacy officer as all or part of their job. Um, Do you think it makes sense for all states to have one? Why or why not? I think a CPO can help give direction and guidance to a state as an enterprise in order to build privacy maturity across the state. As to whether or not all states should have one, I think if you look at California, they do not, but they are putting in place a commission as a privacy regulator. So I don't think you have to have one, but they are already, I think in California as an example, is already setting you know the standards really for right. state privacy regulation and privacy law. So I think other states that are not that far along may find having a CPO can be an easier place to start because then you have somebody that's dedicated to thinking about the strategies for the state in terms of adoption of different privacy models and frameworks. And you learn something new every day. I did not know that California didn't have a CPO. Yeah, that's really helpful, actually, because I was like, I wonder what's going on with California, because they care about privacy, obviously. Right. So, yeah. Yes, they're overachievers. (laughs) Yes. I guess. Yeah. So very, very interesting. And not to uh, disparage our listeners from California. All right. So we just had our first ever in-person state CPO leadership summit hosted by NASIO, along with our CISO and CIO leadership summits. You were there, uh, certainly. Would love to hear about your feedback. You don't have to talk about how you and Amy showed me up on the bowling alley, but uh, (laughs) how was it? What was your main takeaway? I thought it was fantastic. I really appreciated getting to connect with my fellow CPOs and being able to discuss and learn about other state strategies and initiatives. And I think that's part of the, you know, reason to have you know, to foster the community so that we can all learn from each other and not do a lot of wheel reinvention. Uh, Many of us are starting out in this space in all different ways and approaches. And so I think hearing all of the different perspectives and uh, different areas of concentration and work from different states was very, very valuable. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I also think, you know, from a NASIO staff perspective, right, it's it's very, you know, of course, there's sort of agenda items, but it's very unstructured. And, you know, you get to be alone for pretty much a day and a half with your peers and get to talk about the top, you know, issues that are top of mind, uh, which is very different than, you know, our annual or mid-year conferences, right? Yeah, the time to focus and just be together was really terrific, especially because I we're a little bit of a smaller group. So then that really I think facilitated everybody getting to share and hear from each other in a way that some of the larger group, you know, you have to kind of limit who you get to talk to, but this, this way we got to hear from everybody. And I really like that. 
Yeah, that's true. I do feel like everybody got plenty of time to talk or ask questions. And, um, you know, honestly, I was a little nervous with 11 people that we might run out of hmm. things to talk about, but that was never a problem. So <laughs> I think it kept really going good. another day and a half. We probably could have. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, so here we are kind of, at, well, not kind of, but we are at the end of 2021. So I'm wondering, as you look toward next year, do you have any goals for your role or for the state of privacy in Washington that you hope to achieve in 2022? Yes. So my big initiative that I'm rolling out this year is getting a Privacy 101 training out to all staff, state employees especially. But I think if we can, I'd like to make the training available to local governments as well. And it's just to give staff basics in privacy, and hopefully then we can build on that foundation. I think part of the training is to help staff understand the difference between privacy and security. Because Mm -hmm. as you said, sometimes people don't understand the, the distinction between the two. And in fact, when I was pitching the need for this training. Well, the question, one of the questions I got was, why do we need privacy training? We already have security training, <laughs> which I mm-hmm. think is helps demonstrate why we need privacy training to sort of talk about some of those distinctions and ways to think about how handling Washington residents' information is important uh, for privacy. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. And and other initiatives I have have to do with introducing privacy impact assessments. I think that was a similar theme amongst the other CPOs, uh, which was great to hear about and learning from their initiatives was really helpful. And that's actually another place where I'm leveraging in Washington, our cybersecurity practices, because we already require security design reviews for spinning up new applications that affects our network. And so I'm trying to sort of marry up the PIA process with the security design review. So that way we can build off existing processes. And that's where I think a lot of people or CPOs or other privacy professionals that that are working in this space may find some benefits is trying to find processes that you can build off of that people are familiar with. That way you're not just introducing something new all the time and helping to get a little bit more traction with some of these initiatives. Yeah, that's great. Can't wait to hear about those as you move through them next year. So final serious question. Um, I know that children's privacy is an entire topic in and of itself. So as a parent like us, what's your number one piece of privacy advice for any parents listening? My main objective with my kids is to try and help them uh, recognize when their information is being collected and when they're, you know, potentially being manipulated by advertisers and helping them recognize that, you know, somebody's trying to sell you something. Uh, so I think just be the child of a privacy officer. <laughs> they they uh, already have a healthy, I think, suspicion of online apps. And I do try and make sure to their you know, all of the other pieces for limiting uh, screen time and making sure they're using pseudonyms uh, if they are involved on any online gaming platforms and those types of things. So that's how I'm trying to help my my kids navigate the online privacy issues. That's awesome. What about, I've heard before, freezing your child's credit? Yes, I think that oh, is uh, a really great idea. The, it is 
more challenging than I expected it to be. You have to actually mail in documents, but I would definitely recommend doing that so that, you know, lines of credit can be opened with your children's social security numbers. Interesting. Great. That's smart. Yeah. yeah thank and you. maybe figure out how to disable the Alexa. So Ellie and all of our kids can't order things through through our smart speaker. Yes, I do not have any of those devices in my home. So. Yes, mm. probably none of the CPOs do, to be fair. Yeah, well, you're a lot smarter than I am. I just yeah, assume someone's listening no matter what. So if I can make it convenient to play Spotify in my house. Yeah, my uh, mother-in-law learned that one the hard way when my daughter ordered um, cat meowing sounds from Amazon. Oh my gosh. <laughs> It's yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think Amy, like maybe by the time our kids are old enough for like real social media, like mm-hmm. maybe it will be on like, you know, the downslope of it. I hope so. You know, <laughs> and then people will be like, oh, like I don't need a Facebook. I don't need an Instagram account. Yeah, we, we'd like to just hang out in person now. Right. Yeah. For some reason, I can't see that happening. <laughs> um, all right, Katie. So before we let you go, we always like to learn a little bit more about our podcast guests in a segment we call the lightning round, where we ask you three very fun questions uh, about your life outside of work. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. There was a little hesitation, but you know, good enough. <laughs> All right. So question number one, we already talked about your prowess on the bowling lanes, but if you were forced to be in a talent show, what would you choose to do? I I don't have any talents. I show this is the, this is a true. non-answer. This is a non-answer. I, I honestly, I would rather be the host or the MC. I could do that better than I could any talent. My the talent I have is not appropriate for. The, well, I, I, okay, oh. that sounds bad. I would say not appropriate for the stage. It's because I I am a good skier, and you can't okay. really ski on stage. So oh, okay, all right. Well, all right. We'll, we'll edit the not appropriate. I would say skiing is, not. is quite suitable for for this family friendly show. Uh, Maybe a virtual uh, talent show with videos of your skiing tricks or something. There we go. Yeah. So, yes, it's not exactly a talent show talent, but I can I can ski down a hill pretty well. <laughs> okay, good. Love it. So number two, maybe this feeds into your first answer. What's your ideal vacation destination? So yes, right now, uh, with it being winter, it's all about the snow sports. So I definitely would want to be in the mountains with lots of snow. Uh, I just got word our whole mountain is opening this Thursday, so I'm excited about nice. that. But I would have to say for a destination, I would pick to ski in Utah. They have amazing snow. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you're not that far away from Whistler and British Columbia. You got a lot of a lot of choices where you are. Yes. Whistler is awesome and Blackcomb. Very jealous. All right. So given that we're sort of in this, let's talk about the last year and look forward to 2022, which is really hard to believe. What are you looking forward to in the new year? Hopefully being able to travel and visit with others more. I think the lockdown and limiting social interactions have been tough on everyone. Even privacy professionals need to see other people. (laughs) (laughs) You're a social animal though, aren't you? I am. I am. I like to meet new people and uh, get out there and talk to people and learn from others. So 
I hope to be able to travel more this year. Yeah, me too. Ditto. Well, Katie, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. I, I know it's busy right now with people trying to finish everything they need to finish up before the end of the year. Um, and thank you also for all that you have done and do for NASIO. We really appreciate it. Yes. Thanks again for having me. Take care. It's a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks, Katie. Thanks again for listening to NASIO Voices. NASIO Voices is a production of the National Association of State Chief Information Officers. We recently hit our two-year mark of recording this podcast, and we want to say thank you for listening to us. But somehow there are still colleagues of yours who don't know about this podcast. So if you get a moment, please share the podcast with a colleague. I mean, can you imagine having a short and entertaining podcast that is about your exact job? I guess you can if you are listening to this. Anyway, rate, review, subscribe, and share. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Talk to you next time.